Hi, I'm Len Epp from LeanPub, and in this LeanPub Front Matter podcast, I'll be interviewing Nico Yozutis. Based in the German city of Braunschweig, Nico is an independent system architect as well as an author, consultant, trainer, and technical manager, as well as a popular speaker. Nico is the author of a number of books, including the C++ Standard Library, C++ Templates, and SOA in Practice. And he recently published a book on LeanPub, C++17, The Complete Guide. The book covers the new language and library features of C++17 and how you can benefit in practice by combining new features and avoiding new traps. You can learn more about Nico from his website, yozutis.com, and you can follow him on Twitter at Nico Yozutis. In this interview, we're going to talk about Nico's background and career, his professional interests, his new book, and at the end, we'll talk a little bit about his experiences as both a conventionally published and now as a self-published author. So thank you, Nico, for being on the Front Matter podcast. Thank you, Len, for giving me the opportunity to do so. Um, I always start these interviews by asking people to give a version of their origin story. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you grew up and how you first became interested in software and computers. Oh, well, let it say it that way. I was lazy. And the point was um, a class... A friend from from school uh, once told me, uh, you want to do um, something like electrotechnic or physics or so? Do something easy. Do computer science. And he convinced me. So so I did it that way. Um, I was not a hacker or geek or something like that. Um, it was more that, that I thought, okay, if he tells me that seems to be appropriate, and um, it turned out it was, <laughs> or at, le at least it worked. <laughs> and um, where, did, where did you study computer science? It's in Braunschweig. That's the reason I'm, I'm still living here. It's close to my, my, my hometown where I grew up in, in Göttingen. So, um, yeah, I, I didn't went very far um, just for a living, but I, I've seen a lot in the world, of course due to my work now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. Um, one, one question um, I always like to la actually is kind of an unofficial theme of this, this podcast is um, when I encounter people who are in the software world is if you were starting out again now to pursue the same type of career or if you were giving advice to someone who was in that situation, would you recommend a full university course of education in computer science or would you recommend another path? I think it doesn't matter because we have enough demand for good people. So if people are good enough, they will make their way one way or the other. Um, so do whatever you think is appropriate. I mean, I, I started with working for a company um, while I was studying, but but my my lifetime companion, um, she she first studied something totally different and then changed the life or went more and more into IT. So both work very well, and um, also it seems that even my kids start with something totally different, like event management or so, and suddenly at least my son is is, is in a company who does IT events. And now things become interesting. So, yeah, yeah. Thanks for that very clear answer. Um, I think I think you might be the first person who said it doesn't matter. Um, some people get very very passionate one way or the other. Um, uh, so that's a that's a refreshing response. Um, well, you have. To, if I can interrupt you here and say something more about it, um, the the main thing is that that the 
people are passionate and 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 like what they do and and that they're pretty good and and that, that's all that's that's enough to but that's enough for more or less all the business you can join one of the uh, pleasures of this podcast is i get to interview people from uh, all around the world. I was just interviewing someone who was originally from Tunisia yesterday. Um, so I have a German question for you. Mm -hmm. um, I know that until 2011, um, it was compulsory for men to serve in the military in Germany. And I have a, fr mm -hmm. a friend from Kiel who, uh, for whom his experience in the Navy was very transformative. Um, did you, mm -hmm. did you do military service? No, I didn't. I was rejecting it. Um, I should say that my that my father is um, is an is working for the church and the the um, Protestant. Or what is the English word for not Catholic? The other way, Protestant. Protestant um, church. So he, he it's allowed. I'm I, I'm an. I'm not a secret kid. I'm a real kid. <laughs> in my well, I, I should say the other way around. My social life was highly impacted by going into youth club from the church, not to believe in God, but to to learn about democracy and the way you have to live in the world and to to make it a better place. Yeah. Yeah, that's um that's very interesting to me. My I come from a Mennonite background. Um, mm -hmm. and, um, my grandfather on my mother's side was a conscientious objector in world war two. Um, Mennonites are, are pacifist Protestants. Oh, I see. Okay. And, uh, yeah, they don't, they, they tend to not, not fight in wars. Um, okay. So I'm familiar with, with that, that, uh, principle. Um, and, uh, I just one one question about that. If you don't mind talking about it, what was the, uh, reception of this decision in Germany in, in 2011? to end compulsory military service? Well, to some extent, money. I mean, uh, there was simply not enough money now for the army to pay all the people going to there. So the, the period of, of working in the army, um, of, of, of the working in the army for, for everybody, so as part of your life for every man became shorter and shorter. I, I think I did something like two years of service and it became less than half a year or so. So it, it became a little bit ridiculous still to have it. And and people were complaining about some were, were being taken and others were rejected, um, which seemed not to be fair. So I think this was beside the general situation in the world with with yeah after after the cold war um if somebody remembers um yeah there was enough also yeah support for this decision i think okay okay yeah thanks for that answer um uh so you worked uh for a company i i checked checked you out on linkedin um you worked for a company i believe until about 1999 and then you mm -hmm. made the move to work sort of independently and I wanted to ask you a little bit about that decision. What what led you to that move? It seems I couldn't find a company that fit that simply fits. Um, I was working in a very small company. Um, Bradex was about ten people or twenty people, so I was starting to give their trainings and also even starting to write books there. And then. 
I tried to do something different, I, I, but I also wanted to stay in Braunschweig. It was already in Braunschweig where I, as you said, started. And then I decided, uh, no, I, I tried out a few things. Um, maybe I didn't sell very well myself, but um, yeah, so I, I met the right guys, two other guys who also uh, started or had been started to get self-employed, which is a pretty unusual thing in Germany. It's not as common as in the US, for example. And yeah, I took the risk. I had three kids and a wife and it was a lot of discussion, <laughs> but it worked very well. Looking back, it changed, but it also changed my life, of course, because you, you, you live in a different world as a self-employed guy. Yeah, and what what proportion would you say of your time uh, now do you spend, kind of looking looking for clients as opposed to working for clients, or is it is is that not how it works for you? Do they come to you? Well, usually they come to me. Yeah, I would say I uh, looking for clients would would be normally part of the going to a conference or maybe if it's a really bad time send out some emails to some friends and say i'm available um if you're self-employed you from time to time you you, you go into this situation and saying i don't have any contract in the next half year Oh, should I worry myself? And um, it still happens. It it happened at the end of last year for me. But now I'm I'm more or less booked out for the first quarter of this year. So, so this is, yeah, it worked. That's all I can say. And um, yeah, sorry. One way um, I've seen uh, people. Uh, help to build out their profile is to publish books, which is something you got into. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk about your first book. Um, how did that arise? I first have to remember what it was. I think it was programming a German book about programming with OSF Motive and the X window system. I don't know if it says something to you. Um, it was some revolution in areas where we didn't have Linux or, uh, and uh, so we only had different Unix flavors in different companies and um, it was written by the company, my first company of guy, by guys there. And because they were stuck having already three authors, they asked me as a fourth author to jump in. And then we finished the book. And that was the way it all began. And uh, yeah. And um, you've managed to be quite successful with some of your books. Um, uh, they've sold quite a few copies. And I was wondering, I mean, that's something that all authors who are on the, the other side of that experience want to be on, on your side. Um, <laughs> how, did you, how did you get there? Oh, by accident, of course. I mean, you, you can't plan to, to, be, to, be a, to become a star or famous or earn some significant money if you write books. Usually if you write books, it's just for your profession. You might, you, you're, you might um, let uh, clients pay a little bit more because you are an author. Um, that's all. And it, it happened a little bit accidentally because I initially wrote this, these books about C++, the C++ standard library in German. And then I came into contact with the International Standardization Committee, and they, um, and then um, I sold the rights, the English rights again, 
back to to Edison Wesley it was, um, which is now Pearson, and. Um, it, it, I had this luck that, first of all, C++ was pretty successful. And then this was, a, I think, pretty well-written book. And, um, and everybody needed it on, on, on his or her desktop. So in, in the day-to-day -day work, it was not a book you read and then you give it away to the next person or so. So I have, I have a couple of feedback where people say, this is one of the five books I never give away to anybody else because I need it in – each and every day and that of course helps if 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 what you write about is successful if the book is more or less uh, alone in the market and if people need it every day that's a very well combination but i was lucky and i was not aware of that when i wrote it um and can you talk a little bit about your latest book uh and why why that's coming into existence and who it's for yeah, it's it's about uh, C plus plus seventeen, as you just said, and published with LeanPub. Um, it's um, C plus plus has gained some momentum recently. I mean, the reason I have written a book about SOA or service oriented architecture was that I left the C plus plus community a little bit and said I, I have to do something different because I can't become an old pro C plus plus programmer and. Um, and the young guys coming from university will know better about all the tricky details, etc. So I, I, I started with something new. And then um, with modern C++, which started with C++11, um, C++ regained some momentum. For example, the standardization committee meetings raised from 60, uh, excuse me, 30 to 40 participants up to more than 100 uh, even with a lot of young guys. And um, so, of course, the publisher came back to me and asked to write something or give, present a new edition, and I did. And now we publish C++ standards every, each and every three years. And I thought about how do I, should I spend the next book? And I heard about LeanPub from the Agile community uh, because they, they do a couple of things there. And um, so I started to write uh, – no, I started this as a test case. And, and the, the biggest concern I had was I want to have control about this book, um, which, of course, I have. But I, now I mean in the, in the way I write it and the way I can lay out it and publish it. So the first thing I made, I wrote a script transferring my LaTeX source, source uh, macros into um, – it, it, into your style, um, which is oh, I forgot the name, Markdown. Yeah, Markdown. We, we call it the current. We, well, we've got Lean Pub flavored Markdown, and then something we're working on called Markua. Actually, I've got I've got a I've got a couple of questions to ask you about this. But if we could yeah. just uh, go back a little bit and talk about C plus um, plus. Yeah. So you you talked about C plus plus eleven and C plus plus seventeen, and as I understand it, those are years. Um, mm -hmm. and, and so when yes. you said every three years, so there was C++11 and then there would have been C++14 and C++17 and there's a standardization mm -hmm. committee. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how that works because I think a lot of people might not be aware of how a, a language like, like this is maintained and how it changes over time. Uh, mm -hmm. I'm certainly one of them. 
Um, so if you could explain yeah. a little bit about what is what is the standardization committee? How do you yeah. get on it? That that kind of thing because it's it's just so fascinating. And people are mostly familiar with things like how say the English language generally gets kind of standardized, and it's that the language just kind of lives. People are doing new things all the time, and then there would be authoritative bodies like you know the the Oxford English Dictionary Committee who would then decide <laughs> from from this from this guard this vast jungle what kind of new thing to pull out and make official uh usage mm -hmm. but obviously uh, uh you know a programming language works very differently from that so yeah if you could talk a little bit about that that would be really great yeah thanks for giving that opportunity i i do it very often in the trainings because it explains a little bit about the situation C++ is in. Um, so it's, it's a community-driven programming language. So originally, the founder, Bjarne Stielstrup, invented it for AT&T, but then he decided that this should be become an international standard, which formally means that you have an ISO committee, which means, for example, that the sub group of this is ANSI, in Germany it would be DIN, and in, in, in UK it would be BSI. So every country has formally a delegation, um, and formally we vote at the end in favor of a standard, and the, the goal is to have common agreement. It's, it's not that, that you can get a new standard by having something like uh, 10 against 9 votes or so. But that's only the formal background. The informal background is um, that all the operational work is done just by meeting three times a year. And then everybody, even people not attending, can propose a change to this language. And um, you, you don't even have to explain it. I mean, you have to only convince people that they vote for it. And um, if there's con enough, um, yeah, enough agreement that we should go in that direction, we do it. And sometimes the agreement goes into different directions or follow different design ideas. So, so, so therefore, we have some confusion. Sometimes it takes a long time because 100 people and having some common agreement means that there are not too many people disagreeing with the proposal. That's, that's a problem we have right now. So it's, it's com community-driven. There is no general chief architect or programming architect behind, which is good and bad. It takes us more time. Uh, it sometimes we go a little bit crazy, especially with with uh, with consistency and um, yeah but in general uh, it, it helps I mean at more or less a hundred people and more standardize and if somebody complains about the quality of C++ I always answer it's your fault because you haven't been there to make it better <laughs> uh, and how do you get onto one of these committees you just join it's a, just come to the meetings. There's, a, there's an official website called isocpp.org. ISOCPP you will find out when the meetings are. Uh, you should tell us in a hat because we have to prepare a little bit of lunch. Um, but uh, everybody is welcome. And you can join. And, and there are people who very fast um, get um, attracted and, 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 and respected in this group because um, – um, yeah, uh, just come and listen and talk and help, and that's all. One thing I read um, preparing for this interview was that 
there are criticisms of C++ that it's overly complex. Um, and I think I understand a little bit better now what, what some of those criticisms are based on. They, some, I sort of found some kind of snarky comments about how it's kind of everybody just kind of gets what they want in the end. And then people end up using, if I have to get this correctly, people end up, what they actually use of C++ in their, in their own work is a subset of it. But then people that you can end up with people using one sort of part of the language as opposed to another part that someone else is using to do something similar, if that, if that makes sense. Um, what's, what's your response to that? Point of- uh, first of all, I, I, I would not agree with what you said. Okay. I would fully agree that the language is complex, but I would not agree with the reasoning, and maybe I, 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 I gave the wrong impression. Remember that I say we have to have common agreement for changes. And that means that not, I mean, um, you have five groups, each one is 10% or 20% and everybody proposes something and then we have five different things in the standard. It doesn't work that way. We have for, for each and every contribution, we have to convince the, the major majority of all the others um, to, 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 to live and go that path. And then finally, there in the, in the working groups, we have different groups. So some, some are for new features, some are for maintenance, um, both for the core language and the library. Uh, they are the guys who implemented both the compilers or the library. They have enough experience to care for for consistency, etc. Yes, we make mistakes, but th- we make mistakes just like every other software project. Um, I would say the biggest problem we have is backward compatibility, as so often in software, which means, I mean, we, we are compatible to C, and that's already a problem for some things, and it gets, of course, worse and worse. The language grows, we, we come in, come up with, with cool new ideas, but we can't give up backward compatibility. Otherwise, you, you run into a situation where, for example, the, the Python uh, community was split into two different Python versions just because the change they made was not backward compatible and too big. Thanks, thanks for that answer. I, I, I feel like I understand the situation a lot, a lot better now. Um, it's just a fascinating structure to me. Um, uh, going back to your book, um, <clears throat> you were mentioning... Uh, so, uh, Len, yeah. well, one thing maybe I should say. Sure. You, you learn something that is very important in these times. You learn how you work together with different opinions, finding compromises and finding results where everybody can live with. And I have to say that we live in times where we see some signs that we lose this ability to work together and constructive together. And uh, joining an international group of people with very different experience and opinions helps you to learn the lessons necessary to, to, well, to go back on this path, which is necessary for progress of, of, of mankind in general, I think. Yeah, that um, reminds me, I was listening to an interesting um, podcast actually about the effects of polarization on just groups working together. Um, and that <clears throat> as, you know, there's there can be a kind of snowball effect where p- 
people get hardened and hardened and hardened and then it you know you, mm-hmm. working together becomes kind of impossible so i appreciate your your comment uh very much um it also gets to the heart of a sort of a criticism that people often have of uh democracy that because it it's premised on a group of people finding some way to cooperate in an environment of disagreement it can often mean that um you don't get what you want as quickly as you might if simply your group had a, a powerful leader that could issue orders and then things were done um but of course you know the democratic answer to that is that you're not going to end up with a good outcome in the end um if 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 a single will is driving if the single will is a good driver i'm not sure about that i'm I, to be honest i, I i'm i'm just i'm just don't know the problem is my experience is if you have a good driver and this that sooner or later you get you 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 lose the ground of what you decide and that's a problem and we we see that um i for example fall into traps um, again and again, just because I'm I'm more than 20 years involved into C++. And then there come some young guys and tell me, but it's that way or that can be done. And then I say, yes, you're right. Okay. And, and, and that's the important thing. So some, some leadership I, 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 I can live with, but constructive feedback is, is a major part you need. Um, speaking of being driven by a single will, uh, getting back to your book, um, one of the things <laughs> that people um, often brings them to lean bub into other self-publishing services is that they get to have a lot of control over what they do and don't necessarily have you. You lose some of the benefits that come from working with a big publisher, but you gain a lot of independence. And um, you did something special um, with your book that you were just getting into when I brought you back to the issue of C++, which is that you wrote um, a script that lets you write in LaTeX so that you can produce uh um, a kind of highly format, what I would call a highly formatted PDF, um, but that also lets you output your LaTeX to LeanPub's book generators, so you can use our system to make EPUB and Mobi versions. And I was wondering, um, what was behind that? Obviously, there's a lot of work and thought that goes into a process like that. What was behind that decision? Was it the the prior? The, it was very important for your project to have a good looking PDF. Yes, I think. A good layout is key for good books. And I would say that Markdown is not good enough for my for the way I want to control and present things. It's, it's not the problem of Markdown. It's, it's just simple things like um, I need three different ways to for spacing – um, from one sentence and then having some code and then continue the sentence. Sometimes I need short spacing around the code, sometimes longer, sometimes after the code, there's a paragraph involved, etc. So I have different ways. Is this code part of the sentence? Is the sentence in the head just um, introducing the code or is the code totally isolated, etc.? And and for this kind of things, I have I have for my books different LaTeX macros. So and and I don't have this flexibility in Markdown. Um, so you always have the same distance between a sentence and a piece of code, and that makes reading more difficult. I think. 
Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that that very specific answer. Um, of course, we know about that because it wasn't working uh, quite that. It wasn't working quite perfectly, and we had to do a little, a little bit of work to make it work, which we were happy to do. Um, one of the things I should explain uh, to anyone listening is that, like, sometimes we have people who, um, for whom it's very important that they have their their PDF be, as it were, kind of pixel perfect. Uh, other people come to us with um, EPUB files, and so then they then that's the thing that they try to make perfect. And and so what we built was a feature that lets you. It's kind of a. It's not a very well known feature, but it lets you uh, upload. Um, uh, say one of those files like a PDF, but then also use a separate manuscript to generate EPUB and MOBI files uh, for sale as well, um, which yeah. can, can be really really helpful. So it helps you reach reach a wider community and people give give people all those formats uh, that they that they want and maybe expect, even if you intend to drive you know push them in the direction of the one that you think is best. Um, and so you d you chose to publish your book in progress. I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about that decision. Um, well, first of first of all, I had to get used to this idea. <laughs> As I said, um, um, the Adlai community does it pretty often. I mean, that's iterative development, so it's just the a consequent um, application of this idea of iterative publishing. Um, I like it very much. I don't want to miss it. And and if and, and if two or three times I was asked by traditional publishers already, what was the benefit I got from LeanPub? And I said, this iterative um, publishing is the biggest benefit I see they can do. I mean, there's another thing that uh, it has to do with some money, I mean, with royalties, etc. So there are different, different models, how you sell the books and who owns the money, etc. But the biggest thing traditional publishers could learn is a way to publish books uh, iteratively because it, without this feature – the the book was published in in, in December of, of last year. Um, I would say publishing the book would have been taken one more year. And in this one more year, first of all, readers can benefit because more than half is done. And this is a very useful part of the book. It helps people, especially those parts are done which are already available in C++ compiler. So I don't have to have to present all the details of those parts not available yet and uh, and then the I get feedback I get very early very good feedback and uh, so I can I can improve the the uh, yeah the content and finally of course I get early money uh, which is also not as bad so I get some some revenue Early and by the way, this re early revenue also is some pressure because they already paid for a full book, so I have to finish it, and that helps. <laughs> yeah, you actually you actually answered um, uh, one of my questions there already that I was hadn't asked you yet, which is is engaging directly with people who have bought your book important to you, and obviously, um, it is. Uh, that is one of the one of the. It, it's funny you, you've managed to cover a lot of the ground. Um, that uh, that lean pub authors go through very well, uh, which is you know the not only the sort of you know the excitement of the early money, um, but the uh, obligation that one often feels, um, and also the excitement that one can get from building up uh, uh, readers of a project before it's finished, which can help motivate 
uh, you know, work on it in other ways. Um, how is it that you're interacting with your early adopter readers? Well, I first of all, I had some traditional reviewers. So I had some people in the committee, uh, community. I asked, uh, do you want to or do you mind to review the book before it gets published, even here in this platform? Um, so before I don't, a significant first part is published. Um, and then I just get feedback from readers. It's it's not as much as I thought, by the way, um, but it's um, it's uh, well, I get it. I would say so. Uh, it's it, it it's not that it's I would I wouldn't say it's it's better or more than for a traditional book. It's just like that I get it earlier. I mean, before the full book is done. And are they emailing you? Or are they? Do you have the have usual way? They yeah. The usual way tr is surprisingly using the the LeanPub feedback channel. There must be something to to use the LeanPub system to send me an email or send me a message. You know it better than me. So yeah, I think I think what you're probably describing is that um, uh, when you publish a new version of a LeanPub book, you also have the opportunity to send a message to your readers. Um, and so, well, we don't recommend doing that if you've, you know, fixed a typo, but if you have, uh, added, uh, significant content that you can send an email to your readers, um, using our system in a way that doesn't expose your email address to them, and then they can reply to you, uh, I believe is probably what you're, what you're describing. No, I don't think so. Okay. Uh, we also have, um, we also have discuss forums that people can use. Oh, and then there's also an email, the author feature. I forgot about that. That might be yes, what you're talking about. Yes, and that's the one. Yeah. So, yes, I get I get a message from LeanPass saying a message from a reader of, and then the book title. Yeah. Okay. And that's, so yes. that's, that, that comes the most feedback I get. Oh, thanks. That's really interesting. That, um, that feature is a little bit hidden. You kind of have to scroll down the book's landing page to see an email, the author link. Uh, so I'm happy okay. to hear that, that people are finding it. Um, that's great. You can improve that if you like. <laughs> oh yeah, well, no, we definitely we definitely plan to. Um, we're doing work on community uh, is something that's really important to us. And actually, we've um, you might not have noticed it, but in your in LeanPub, you'll notice a little bell has a, appeared at the top right uh, of the screen if you're signed in, and so that's notifications that we built in. Oh, uh, okay. And so that will be right now. What happens is um, someone can get a notification there if an author publishes a new version of a book and sends a message. Uh, and you'll get the download links right there. Um, mm -hmm. But this will obviously, we all, we're all familiar with the little red, red dots on bells that are notifying mm -hmm. us of things that have happened. And so there's going to be a bit more of that happening in LeanPub, which will hopefully help people interact with each okay. other. Um, uh, my last question uh, is a bit of a selfish one, but if there, well, I've got you, if there was one thing about LeanPub um, that we could build for you, or if there was one thing that we could improve um, that we haven't talked about already. Uh, what would that, can, can you think of anything? Um, well, you mean not talked about already in this interview, probably because I, I have talked with, with some guys of you already proposing a few things. Um, I think the most important thing we need is we as, as, as authors of programming languages need is um, a way to, to self-define uh, syntax highlighting. 
um, because that, that was almost a showstopper that the syntax highlighting of C++ you use is really way behind. It's, 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 it's even, even before C++ 11, and I'm, I'm writing a book about C++ 17. So the, the wrong words are, are not highlighted. And oh, I see. And 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 I, I really need an interface for that because I think in general you have the problem. People write new books about new things, so new new keywords come therein, and they knew the new way of syntax highlighting, and 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 you can't use the the general syntax highlighting rules of the existing books and the existing standards or because you describe something new so i think this is something you really should introduce to uh, to give um, people who write programming books more success with describing new things that are coming yeah thanks very much that's really interesting uh yeah as as you're as you're saying um uh, often lean pub books are kind of cutting edge it's one of the reasons that the iterative publisher early published often thing thing works um and uh if You've got a if you if you're showing programming code, um, you can't it, 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 the system you're using won't know to highlight new words uh, unless that system has been updated. And if I understand, just to be precise, what you're asking for is the ability for you as the user to actually you know set the highlighting for these new words if yes. the system that we're using isn't caught yeah. up to the latest and greatest or even what might be coming in the future. Yeah. Um, I mean, you have, you have some, you have a system for the syntax highlighting you use. Uh, I forgot the name, what it was. Um, with the Y. Yeah. And the, and they have syntax files and, and yeah, it's, it's, it's a Python uh, tool as far as I know. And, and all I need is a way to say, here's my syntax tool, um, which describes a, completely new language which is C plus plus twenty for the next book and the book should immediately follow that route. Um of course uh, error handling is an issue but um I think this is very important because uh, wrong or confusing syntax highlighting is really counterproductive for a book. <laughs> yeah we've we've heard from some some pretty uh, passionate authors about that issue in the past. Uh so I thank you for for telling us about uh the the weaknesses that are still there. Um well, thanks. Um, thanks very much, uh, Nico, for um, taking some time out of your evening uh, to talk to me today. I really appreciate it. Um, and uh, thanks for being on the podcast and for uh, using LeanPub for your latest book. We were really excited when you when you showed showed up. Yeah, thanks, Len. I I want to thank you for this platform. I I think in general it worked very well. I had some some yeah some time to try it out and and then i decided to go that way i'm very happy i still use and can use my own macros and that way it works very well so once you have new features i can immediately update these macros and generate a new tool that's that, that's also a cool thing so thank you very much for your platform and all your work and of course for giving me the opportunity to talk to you oh thank you very much we really appreciate the kind words thanks